0: Welcome to church. Good morning. It's great to see you today and I hope you've already had a great time in worship uh, working through our Sunday worship guide and I hope you have a Bible with you and something to take some notes on and something to take some notes with and if you've got those things you're going to be in good shape. We're going to be in the book of Galatians chapter 1 today and so go ahead and open your Bibles there and while you're doing that I want you to imagine this scenario with me. Imagine that we are on an airplane Uh, and this airplane is going down. But it just so happens that there are enough parachutes on the plane for all of us on board. And there just happens to be a skydiving instructor as well. So he tells us all very quickly, here's what you do. You put on the parachute, you buckle into the parachute. Here's how you jump out of the plane. Here's how you pull the ripcord. Here's how you land. And we're all just like, this is amazing. This is fantastic that we have this guy and we have these parachutes. And as soon as he's done, he goes to get his parachute on. And another guy steps in and says, hey, wait just a second. I need to correct some information. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And we would say, what do you mean? And this other guy would say, I know him. His credentials are not very impressive. And he only told you part of the truth about parachuting out of this plane. And we would say, why would he do that? And this guy says, it's because he wants to be liked by you. So he didn't tell you everything you need to know. But look, I'll tell you what you need to know. First of all, you can't expect this parachute to do all the work for you, getting you down to planet Earth. And we would be surprised at this information. And he would say, listen, I I know this. I've been skydiving for a long time. The parachute alone isn't enough to get you safely back to land. Here's what you need to do. Halfway down unbuckle from your parachute and then flap your way the rest of the way down. That combination, parachute and flapping, is going to get you safely to the ground. Now, that type of advice would be bonkers. And if anyone were to follow that advice, it would be criminal advice. It's a horrendous lie that would have dramatic and squishy consequences if anyone followed it. And that type of scenario is essentially what's happening in a spiritual sense with the churches in Galatia. And that's why Paul has written this letter. He went on a mission trip, his first mission trip through this region, Galatia, and he preached the gospel. He shared the good news. And after he left these towns, false teachers came in and they tried to discredit Paul And then they discredited his gospel as well. They said he didn't tell you the whole story. It's not just faith in Christ alone, but you have to believe in Christ and keep the Mosaic law. You do those things, then you'll really be saved. But otherwise, you're not saved at all. And what happens when you mutilate the gospel like that? Well, you get a letter from Paul. That's what happens. And he's fighting for the souls of these people he loves so much. This is a letter. The the letter to the Galatians is all about the gospel. What it is, what it isn't, how valuable it is, how potent it is. Now, I don't want to take for granted that we all know what I'm talking about when I use the phrase the gospel. So let me explain to you very briefly what it is that I mean when I say the gospel. I mean this the story of the gospel begins with bad news. The bad news is that all of us, every single one of us, start out as sinners. And that sin is sin against God. It is sin that we are guilty of. It is sin that comes with a death sentence. And it is a sin that we are powerless in ourselves to do anything about. The verdict against us is just. The death sentence that is on us is right. Because we are guilty of sin against God. But God loves us, and he has mercy and grace on sinners. And so Jesus, who is God in the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, came to us, and he lived a sinless life because he is God and he is man, and he died on the cross. And there at the cross, he absorbed all of God's wrath for our sin. He took the punishment that our sin requires, and in exchange, he gives us his righteousness his holiness. Three days after he died, he rose from the dead, and he promises that everyone who calls on his name, everyone who trusts in him, who puts their faith in him, everyone that does that will be saved. Now, God does not automatically save every person, but because of his grace, he has chosen to save some. And so some will hear the gospel, and some will say yes as God calls them and holds them uh, to himself. And he does that only by his grace and his mercy to us that's the gospel the good news we are sinners god loves us sent his son to die for us by faith in him we have everlasting life that's the gospel that's the standard but what we're dealing with in this letter to the galatians is people, false teachers, who have warped that gospel. And so Paul is fighting for the souls of his people to protect them and rescue them from this heresy. This beautiful message is given to us by God, the gospel message handed to us by God, and it's something that you and I have to live our lives under and with in order for us to know freedom and to know eternal life. So throughout this study, we're going to strive for clarity on the gospel. And we start today by identifying three things that we cannot do with the gospel. It's a little negative, but Paul begins this letter with an alarm, with a tone of warning. And so we have to listen to his urgency and his passion I want you to take a few moments to read this passage, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. I'm going to flash it on the screen, and feel free to hit pause, and then you can read through the passage, and when you're ready, hit play again, and we'll pick back up there. So Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, I hope you picked up on Paul's passion and the urgency in the tone of his writing what are the three things that we cannot do with the gospel, according to what Paul has written here? If you're taking notes, the first thing is this, the gospel cannot be abandoned. Uh, Paul begins by warning his listeners, about abandoning the gospel. He gets right to business. Remember last week we said Paul doesn't waste any time on small talk. He introduces himself, he introduces his audience, and he gets right to work. And he says to them, I'm amazed that you're so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another gospel. Now Paul's precise words here are very important. The churches in Galatia are turning. Uh, They are abandoning the gospel. They're not merely turning to a different gospel because there's no such thing. There's not one gospel of Paul and then one gospel of the Judaizers. The gospel uh, doesn't have different manifestations depending on the audience or the speaker. The gospel is the gospel, period. And so to say that that we're going to listen to another gospel is to say we're choosing no gospel at all. And so Paul makes it clear from the beginning, he's not beating up these people. He loves them. And that's why he writes with such urgency in this letter. he's fighting for their souls. And, and do you remember how we described these false teachers, what it is that, that they've in, how it is that they've infected the gospel? Uh, they've told the people in Galatia, "Hey, faith in Christ. Yeah, that's right. You need that. And you need to add the Mosaic law to it as well. So what Jesus begins, Moses will complete in you. And this is where Paul gets irate. And he says, no, this is not the gospel. This is not the way things are supposed to be. In verse 6, Paul says that the Galatians, though, they're not simply turning away from an idea. They're turning away from a person, Christ. You are turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ Now, when Paul says that you were called, it's another way of saying you were saved. And and how is it that they were saved? By keeping the law? No, they're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Not by circumcision, not by dietary laws, but by faith in Christ alone. The gospel confronts every one of us with this reality that we are all ferocious sinners and that we are powerless in and of ourselves to do anything to change that apart from God intervening, apart from the grace of Christ applied to our souls. We're not capable of doing good that will cover our sin. It's only by Jesus acting in grace towards us and by his death and resurrection that we can believe and be saved. And so Paul's question to this audience is a question to this audience. Why would you abandon the gospel of grace for man-made legalism? As this letter unfolds, uh, Paul's going to get more and more specific about the nature of the gospel. And this is just Christianity 101. What it means to be a Christian is to understand, to know the gospel in all of its beautiful simplicity as it holds up Christ. In our membership class here at South Shore Baptist Church, we spend ample time on this very issue. because. I believe every member of our church should be able to answer this question. What is the gospel? We have to be able to answer that for the sake of our own souls, but then also for the sake of the mission that God has given us. So every person in the membership class is taught and equipped and then asked in an interview, tell me what the gospel is. And we have to answer. Can you answer that question? Can you answer it correctly? I want to challenge you in the week ahead set aside time. If you can't answer that question well, set aside time to learn the answer. Maybe you can't answer it well because you don't know Christ as your Savior. I can't think of a more important question for you to investigate than what is the gospel. And if you are a follower of his, you have to be able to articulate this to carry out the mission that God has given us and to walk in the freedom that we have in Christ. So this week, would you set your mind to answering the question, what is the gospel? If you need some help, there's a number of tools and resources online, or go back to the beginning of this video where I gave a brief explanation, and you can use that as a guideline to begin to answer that question for yourself. So we have to be clear that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And we cannot abandon that for any other line of thinking. The gospel is not an evolving truth, it is a revealed truth from God, a gift that he's given us, not for us to fix and to tweak and to mold, but for us to live under in the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. The gospel cannot be abandoned. For so many of us, what we do is we will say, well, I believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. And that's right, but then it's so easy for us to add labels or works as requirements onto that theology. And so you you might say, well, I, I believe you have to believe in Jesus to be a Christian, and you have to have this label. So whatever the label is, Baptist, Protestant, Catholic, Reformed, you name it. But faith plus a label does not equal salvation. We might add religious deeds to it. Hey, believe in Jesus and be baptized, take the Lord's Supper, take the Eucharist, go to church, whatever the thing is. But faith plus religious deeds does not equal salvation. That's abandoning the gospel. Paul is calling you and I to a pure faith in Jesus Christ in which we rely solely on his work for our salvation, not attempting to add anything to it. Trying to add something to Christ's work for our salvation would be like detaching from your parachute and trying to flap your way to the ground. It's not going to work. And so we must not abandon the gospel. We have to hold to faith in Christ alone. There's a second thing we cannot do with the gospel. The gospel cannot be altered can't be altered. It can't be changed. It can't be morphed in any way. It has to be kept true and pure in its message. So, as Paul continues in this introductory material in his letter, uh, he makes it clear that the content of the gospel is not determined by the messenger. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, Even if we, that's Paul and his partners in ministry, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. And just to make sure the Galatians understand this applies to any created being, verse 9, he says, As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. Paul understands that the gospel is not a message that he has invented or crafted, but he was given it by Jesus and what he and the other apostles are delivering to these communities in Galatia and elsewhere is that gospel message from God for the sake of the salvation of the people they're ministering to. And so Paul doesn't get to shape a new gospel, and neither does Peter, neither do any of these other New Testament workers, or anybody else, even if an angel showed up and said, I've got a different gospel for you, Paul says, that person is accursed. Now, what does he mean when he says they are cursed? Well, you and I often think of curses as if this might apply to someone in an Edgar Allan Poe poem, but that's not the type of curse we're talking about. What Paul's saying is the person who mutilates the gospel of Jesus Christ and delivers that to people is in the crosshairs of the judgment of God, because they are toying with the souls of people, and they are marring the glory of God. Now here's where the issue gets very, very delicate for us. If you have been taught a false gospel, it's more than likely that you were taught by a religious leader or a family member whom you've trusted. And I doubt that their intentions were malicious, like they didn't scheme behind you, ha ha, this is how I'm going to take this person down, and then they give you mumbo jumbo. Probably they thought they were giving you the best and they were helping you understand the best they could. But when they gave you faith plus works, what they gave you was a cursed message. And it can be hard because of those relational ties to separate ourselves from that and embrace the true gospel from Jesus Christ. But we have to believe Paul on this point that no pastor or priest or pope, or family member has the authority to alter the gospel. The purity of the gospel transcends every relationship and is above every earthly authority. So that might be a hard truth to accept, but friend, you have to make sure that your spiritual influencers are not of the cursed variety. That doesn't mean that you have to hate those people, but it means you have to hear Jesus and trust Jesus above all else. How can you protect yourself from that type of false teaching? How can you protect your children from that type of false teaching? I'll tell you, this is why being a part of a gospel preaching church is so vitally important. Nowadays, many people will say things like, well, nature is my church, or my garage is my church. Well, No, it's not. That's just utter nonsense. Uh, the church is our church. God's people gathered in his name. That's our church. And, And we're here not to fulfill some legalistic requirement that gets us into heaven. We're here because we've been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And we want to know more what it is to live with him, walk with him, and to fulfill his mission to the ends of the earth. And I have to be here. We have to be here together under the teaching of God's faithful word. I'm held accountable to this standard. And you must have pastors who give you the gospel of Jesus Christ purely and truly as God has given it to us in his word. So what can we not do with the gospel? We cannot abandon it. We cannot alter it. And finally, the gospel cannot be shaped by popular opinion. In verse 10, Paul asks a couple of rhetorical questions. Am I trying to persuade people or God? Am I striving to please people? And it seems that false teachers in Galatia have probably started this lie about Paul that the reason he didn't tell the Galatians about circumcision and Mosaic law is because he's trying to win them to be, the, to be his friends, to like him. But Paul squashes all of that in verse 10. He says, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. He was praised as a Pharisee. He excelled in his practice of Judaism. And so if he wanted to please people, he would have just stayed in that line of living. But instead, Paul is giving his life to please God, to honor God by delivering the gospel to the people that the Lord has given him. It's becoming less and less popular for you and I uh, to be representatives of Christ in the places that we live. And to be fair, this is not anything new. This is not uniquely, um, uh, this is not unique to us in this time period. The intensity of it is not uh, unique compared to other periods of Christian history. It's just the fact of the matter that the Christian voice is slowly being squeezed out of the public arena. The gospel is not popular because it flies in the face of modern values. The the gospel says we are inherently broken, but the message of the world is that we are inherently great. The gospel says God has given us the truth. Our world says you're going to find your truth by looking inside yourself. The Bible says we are broken, and God loves us, and through Jesus made a way for us to be rescued from that brokenness, but the world says You don't need rescue, you need affirmation. So the message of the gospel is not popular with the world around us, and its truthfulness does not depend on popular opinion or majority vote. Its truthfulness is in itself because this is the message given us by God. So if you're a Christian teenager, a young adult, college student, The quicker you get this truth anchored in your soul, the better you will weather storms from your peers who call you intolerant or hateful or any other number of names because you walk with Jesus Christ. They don't know. They are lost. The gospel is an offense to them. It is foolishness to them. But what God has given us in Jesus Christ, through the apostles, in his word, that is not Foolishness. This is life. And it hurts and it can be confusing when people in our life speak out against the gospel. But the gospel is not a matter of popular opinion. Now, to be very clear, that does not give Christians permission to be jerks. We are loving, we pray for our enemies, we are kind to those who would persecute us. But we must understand the truth of the gospel is in the gospel itself and it's not validated by our peers or by anyone else beyond us. So the gospel cannot be abandoned or altered or left to popular opinion. We have to embrace it, trust it, and accept it as a gift from God. When I was growing up in Oklahoma, every town had a tornado siren. And on a regular basis, those tornado sirens would get tested. So when I was in elementary school, there was a tornado siren in the far end of our playground. And every Monday at noon, the tornado siren would sound. And coincidentally, at the same time, 60 fourth graders would have panic attacks. That's just the way it went. But there's a reason why a tornado siren doesn't sound like a lullaby or a baby's giggle. Danger requires urgent alarm. That's what Paul gives us here in the opening of his letter. He speaks these warnings to us with passion and urgency to protect us and rescue us from heresy. And he forces the question in front of us. Have I added works to my understanding of salvation? Am I diminishing the work of Christ on the cross? Have I turned from the gospel? Friend, would you leave that curse behind and walk with Jesus by faith alone? And so, Father, I pray for these who are listening this morning that we would believe what we have heard, that we would cling to Jesus Christ for our salvation by faith alone. Free us from the curse. Give us boldness to step away from the heresies of works-based salvation. And Lord, help us to walk in the freedom that you give us in Christ. Thank you for this salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.